I've been teasing this all week, and the day is here. Special guest today is Mike Jorgensen, 30-year radio veteran on the Oregon Sports Network, right next to Jerry Allen. Jorgie joins the pod. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm Spencer McLaughlin, your host. Thank you for making it your first listen every day. It's part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Oregon Ducks every single day. If I sound a little bit different, it's because I'm recording on a different laptop because in my genius earlier today, I spilled water on my other laptop. Hoping to get that resolved quickly. But the interview will sound good, and you will love it with Jorgie. I was looking forward to it. He didn't disappoint. Let's go. And I'm joined now on the Locked on Ducks podcast by someone who I've listened to for a longer time than he would maybe like to have me admit on the air, so I won't. His name is Mike Jorgensen, an Oregon Sports Network radio analyst since 1989, or 30 years, alongside (laughs) Jerry Allen. He was an Oregon quarterback in the early 80s. Jorgie, it is such an honor for me to have you on the pod. I appreciate you making the time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. So before we get to this year and everything that went down, of which there was quite a bit, Over 30 years, you've been on the airwaves talking to Oregon fans during football games with Jerry Allen. A lot has changed in college football. A lot is changing right now. But real quick, just one thing that you would say has been your favorite part of being an integral member of Oregon football. Um, You know, it's really tough to put your thumb or your finger on one. But I, for me, and I think it's the same, I, I would probably speak for my radio broadcast partner, play-by-play guy, Jerry Allen, who's 35 years this year, which is pretty amazing, is it's the coaches and the players that you build relationships with over time. Um, it's been pretty special to, to get to know um, a, a, lot of, a lot of legends now for Oregon football all the way up through today, basically, when you've been able to meet and be around and travel with and interview and see them grow through life and everything else that goes with it. Players for me from 1989 until now for Jerry from 1987 until now. And it's really something special when you get a chance to get to know those guys personally, Uh, they get, it makes you feel special when they remember your name and then they remember it into the future and the relationships we've built with some pretty special coaches through this program, you know, all the way up till this year. So I would say for us, as much as you, you maybe want to say it's the, the big wins, the tight wins, anytime you beat the Huskies, obviously, uh, you know, those type of things are all, always special, but it's the players and the coaches and the relationships you build with those people over time. Uh, they just last, they last a lifetime. And you talked about the names that people remember you by. Probably not as many know you as Mike Jorgensen. Most people just hear you as, as Jorgie in the trio of Jerry Jorgie and, and Joey on, on Oregon yeah. football broadcasts yeah. this year. But the last one that you did, the Alamo Bowl, the loss to the Sooners down in San Antonio. What did you see in that game from Oregon, the big deficit at halftime and fighting their way back? You know, when, when you had time to let the dust settle and think about Oregon's performance in that game. What did you think of how the Ducks showed out? Well, like you just said, I, I, you know, started poorly in the first half, played a very good second half. Uh, so I, I liked what I saw from a team that didn't just throw in the towel because 
Oklahoma offensively can score 60 or 70 on you if they, if they want. And it was really a tough matchup for Oregon in that game because the weakness for Oregon that game because of lack of bodies, injuries, opt-outs, uh, transfer portal people, whatever else it might be, was on the defensive side of the ball. So it ended up a really bad matchup against the strength of Oklahoma, which is their offense. But, you know, I, I think more than anything is I would have really been curious to see because I think this team had a, a really good opportunity to win this game if they had started the game differently, uh, particularly on that opening drive and a batted ball that gets up in the air, a poorly thrown ball by 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 Anthony Brown that was behind and up in the air and Oklahoma gets it and goes to short field to score. And, and that really kind of got them off to the races, but there were a lot of opportunities in that first half to keep the game close. Uh, and instead Colorado went out to a 30 to three halftime lead. Uh, and we've seen games at the Alamo bowl where teams have come back from more than <laughs> more than 27. Okay. Been on the wrong end of that, obviously with TCU, yeah. But it's possible. And when Oregon started the way they did in the second half and scored 22 third quarter points, they had an opportunity. And late in the game, even down by 15, uh, Oklahoma tried to play giveaway with a couple of fumbles that they were able to recover. It sure would have been interesting to come down to a one score game and an onside kick again after what happened in 2006. But it wasn't to be. And so it's too bad that, that again, Oregon did not play well in that first half and really dug a hole that. I didn't think they could get out of. I don't think anybody thought they could get out of, and unfortunately they did. Yeah, that fumble, one of them that you mentioned or alluded to there in the second half was forced by Bennett Williams, who if you go watch the replay, made an outstanding play. He blows up the guy who comes across to block him, and he punches the ball free. And I remember watching it, Jorgie, and just thinking that that ball was on the turf for like an hour. It was ridiculous, and no one – was right there. And it was just, I I think a microcosm of that day where things were not going Oregon's way because those first two drives that the ducks had, they were moving the ball and to only come away with three points after how it looked early on, I think was pretty disappointing, but also I thought that at halftime, even after those two drives only netted three points, I thought they would have more with the way that they were able to, to run the ball with Travis die. Yeah. Yeah. And Travis die just, continues to be an amazing warrior for the the size he is and and what he brings to the table. He's fast, but he's not the fastest guy on the field. He's strong, but he's not the biggest guy on the field. And yet somehow, some way he ends up with 150, 160 yards rushing in that game, over a thousand for the season, great receiver out of the backfield. So they were able to really do some great things at the line of scrimmage from a run standpoint. And then, you know, some of the dimes that, that Anthony Brown threw in that second half, he threw some beautiful balls, beautiful deep balls to a bunch of young receivers that, you know, hopefully we get a chance to talk about here today. But uh, I thought also, it's funny you say that about uh, what Bennett Williams did to blow up that play, caused the fumble, Oregon did not get on it. I thought Verone McKinley recovered the second fumble. Yeah, so did he. I, t- I truly did. I don't think that uh, uh, Stoops, the receiver, the coach's son, was able to f- get back on it cleanly. I thought it was Verone McKinley. I thought that was going to be Oregon's ball right there. But uh, is what it is. Dig a dig a hole like that in the first half. Uh, you can't. I, I didn't expect really any different ending. It just would have been fun to see. Uh, some tight cheeks from Oklahoma if they would have got to that to about one score. So, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I was in a, a Twitter spaces last week or so, and Verone McKinley was in there, and someone asked him a question about whether or not he recovered the ball. And I can assure you, Verone McKinley is confident that he recovered the ball, and Stoops, Stoops did not. But like you said, 
that was not the, the turning point in the game. It was that Oregon was down 30 to three at the half. And I'm glad you mentioned those young skill position guys, because they are who I had on my notes to talk about next, because that was one of the things that really made me feel better in the second half. You know, at halftime, I was frustrated as a fan watching the game because it was, you know, an unfortunate repetition of what we'd seen from the Oregon offense over the previous couple of weeks against Utah. But then in the second half, they come out with a vengeance. They go right down the field and score. And then we started, started to see guys who might be integral to Oregon's offense come 2022 really start to make plays. Dante Thornton, Isaiah Crocker, Troy Franklin. I love the tight ends, Matavau and Ferguson as well. Uh, what did you see from Oregon's young and, you know, frankly, guys who didn't get a lot of experience this past year, skill position guys in that Alamo Bowl? Well, I saw some guys grow up, you know, in game reps, you, you, you can't ever put the value on game reps like they did in that game and, and like players do in games. I mean, practice reps in, in Oregon likes to go full speed in practices, so they get good looks at what game reps are going to be like, but there's nothing like playing in the game and making plays in the game. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I was really happy to see is, you know, you'd seen it a little bit from Troy Franklin in spots during the season, but towards the end of the season, and along with Chris Hudson, I, I think those guys obviously began to really emerge the last three or four weeks of the season, uh, and, and you saw it again in the bowl game. And uh, again, Franklin, Thornton, uh, Brevard found his way onto the field. Isaiah Crocker made some plays. So it's a group of about four or five really good receivers, and I think you got to sprinkle sprinkle in seven McGee because he's He's a guy that's going to get used in a lot of ways next year, including as a slot receiver. Um, I think the future is real bright for those guys. It's, it's nice to see a variety of receivers, too, that are fast, that are compact, that are tall, that are lanky. I mean, you've got a little bit of everybody out there, 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", guys, all the way down to a 7 McGee, you know, who's 5'11", or 6'1", 180, can run the fly sweep, can do some things kind of like Anthony Thomas, even though they'll never be a dat, but he can do things like that. And he's the first guy probably since DeAnthony that is able to do all those different things and look like he's kind of a natural with all of them. Yeah. And I think Oregon has had a couple of guys who have sort of been, you know, kind of dat light because as you said, there's no DeAnthony Thomas. I mean, his highlight reels at Oregon are unmatched. Yeah. When you watch him, I just always remember the one where he turned around the Washington State defender three <laughs> to three times. I, I can never, never forget that. He turned him all the way in, in a circle. But, you know, having a, a Charles Nelson, a Jalen Red, that, that's who I think Seven McGee can certainly become. So I'm glad that, that you feel that way as well. And I, I think the new staff is going to see the potential he has because he has got explosive speed and he's clearly capable of running routes. And I think he's a guy who you just you get the ball to him in space and you let him do the rest and be a, a big play guy for the offense. We'll get to more with Georgie. But first, a moment to tell you about our sponsors. Duck fans, there's an incredible app for everyone who buys gasoline. Get Upside. My listeners are making up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free Get Upside app, use promo code SCORE, and get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill up. That's up to 50 cents cash back. Just download the app and use promo code SCORE to get 50 cents a gallon cash back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to three hundred dollars a month in cash back, and there's no catch. Just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code SCORE to get up to 50 cents a gallon cash back on your first tank. That's code SCORE. 
Bet Online would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. Bet Online remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. New year and a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code Locked On to get started. From football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Bet Online, where the game starts. All right, and we're back with Mike Jorgensen of the Oregon Sports Network, a radio analyst for over 30 years alongside Jerry Allen. And let's talk a little big picture, Jorgie, about the season that we just saw from Oregon. The big win early against Ohio State in the horseshoe, that was about as thrilling of a way to start. Remember, without Kayvon Thibodeau and Justin Flo in that game, it was quite a way to start the year. And you finish the season, the Ducks do 10-4, and four, losing three of their last four games. At least the one win was against the Beavs. So that's kind of a, a silver lining, if you will. But how do you feel after this past season looking back on it? And how do you think Duck fans should feel after a 10-win season that – ultimately is going to be seen in retrospect as a bit, a bit of a disappointment. How do you feel as a guy who has seen this program grow up to what it is today? Isn't that funny? You know, the way you say that, and it's the way I, I think of it too, is, you know, but if you had told me before the season that Oregon was going to finish the regular season 10 and two, I'd say, okay, let's take it and run. Um, let, let's go from there because that's most likely going to put you right in the Pac-12 championship game. And that's where you want to be at the end of the season. And that's what they did. And yet, the, the type of loss that they had towards the end of the regular season to Utah on the road in Salt Lake City against a very good team, the best team in the league, there's no doubt about it. And then to have the duplicate of that in the Pac-12 championship where it felt like a deja vu. And then go down, obviously, and get beat by Oklahoma and play a poor first half. You know, you end up 10-4 and four, uh, after a 10-2 and two regular season, and it, it doesn't feel good. Um, because the expectations are pretty high that this team was going to win the league. They were a uh, preseason pick to win the league. They got to the very last step to be able to do it. But again, the type of loss that they ended up suffering, I think gives people a bad taste in their mouth and gives the team obviously a bad taste in their mouth too. But, you know, overall, I got to say, I, I think it's a very good season that these guys had, you know, to be able to get to 10 and two, I figured nine and three or 10 and two is what they were probably going, going to be anyway. Um, it was odd how they got there uh, because they started quick. Tough game with Fresno State that we found out Fresno was a pretty good team. Uh, a, a road victory against Ohio State team that I think at that point in the season, it was good they caught them then because they were a good team, but weren't nearly what they were at the end of the season as, uh, as the receiver and quarterback group began to mature for the Buckeyes. But it was a win. You go get it on the road. One of the biggest wins in Oregon history. And then they played a series of close games that, I think, and, and a lot of people probably feel Oregon was the superior team, and yet a struggle with Arizona. Ended up beating them 41-19, but it's a five-point game going into the fourth quarter. Uh, struggle with so Stony Brook at times. Go down and end up losing to a really poor Stanford team. Uh, did not play very well, and some circumstances in that game, you know, put them in that position with a coach and a player and some other things that happened in relation to injuries and coaches in the hospital, but they were still in a position to win that game at the end and, um, you know, made some plays, made some mistakes that they, you know, that really ended up costing them. And so it was one of those ones where it was kind of choppy. I, 
a beta cal team that I think was a real solid cal team, but have to hold on to the very end to do it. Go down and look great against UCLA, even complete, complete control of the game, and then throw two late interceptions, and all of a sudden it's a last drive type of situation. So it was just that type of season. But at the end of the day, win is what you need to do. Win those games, whether it's by one or whether it's by 21. And that's what they did to be able to get to that 10 and two season. But, you know, unfortunately the Utah game, the Oklahoma game, and now a tough one to open the season next year with Georgia, they could be in a position where they lose four out of five. I hope that's not the case. Um, I think they've got an opportunity under Dan Lanning to really take that trip back to Atlanta to start the season next year to, to get that out of the way. But uh, again, to answer your question, I think a really, really solid season. Just too bad the way it ended. I think it's a rude introduction for Dan Lanning. Even though he's coming from Georgia, if you have to play the Bulldogs in Atlanta, maybe you'd want to have a former Georgia D.C. as your head coach. But that is a really tough way to to start the 2022 season. But I I can't lie, Georgie, no matter what happens in that game, I am excited for it regardless because – Oregon football is gone. I miss it already. I, I can't wait until, until it comes back. We'll take one more quick pause to talk about some sponsors who make this show possible. They're wonderful. And then we'll be back for an extended run here with Mike Jorgensen. Stick around. It's the new year, so that means New Year's resolutions. And if yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan. Built Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolution. It tastes so good, you'll want to eat it. Unlike other protein bars, which can be chalky or waxy or taste like a chemical spill, you want to eat healthy, but it just gets so boring. By week three, you might be thinking, this is just not worth it. Where's the chocolate? Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. Built Bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Even if you're not a huge fan of working out like I'm not, you can at least enjoy something that tastes good and it's good for you. That way, when you enjoy a delicious Built Bar, you can almost count it as a workout. Go to Built.com, use promo code, and get 15% off your order. That is promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, and we're back. So, Georgie, offense is kind of the new thing in football and the NFL and in college. It's all about are you going to get, you know, a young offensive coach? Are you going to get one of the, you know, smart, progressive minds? Meanwhile, Nick Saban is still dominating everybody in college football, and Alabama is in a tier of its own. And Lanning is the third head coach to be hired this offseason at a major program who comes from the defensive side of the ball. Lanning was hired. Marcus Freeman got promoted to the head coaching job at Notre Dame. Venables, of course, hired to go be the coach at Oklahoma. Do you think that with the offensive hires that exist in the Pac-12 conference, you know, you have Chip down at UCLA, Lincoln Riley at USC, DeBoer going up to Washington, and UW has fallen on, on some tough times lately. But do you think that that factored into hiring Dan Lanning at all and looking at a defensive minded head coach, given that everyone is going the other way. Do you think it was sort of a reactionary hire, not in a bad way per se, but just saying everyone's going over here. So we're going to swing it back the other way. I've heard that talked about. I mean, I've heard that as one of the theories of, uh, okay, if USC is going to get Lincoln Riley and they're going to, you know, chuck it all over the place and score 40 or 50 on people, you better have defense. And, and then that, obviously that's the type of coach that, that Dan Lanning is defensive minded defensive coordinator at Georgia with 
know, one of the best defense in the country. I was to say one of, but they're clearly the best defense in the country. And so, you know, that's the thought process that I've heard thrown out there. I'm still of the, I'm still of the belief. And then of the saying, I know you've heard a hundred times defenses win you championships. I still believe defenses win you championships. I really do. I mean, I think even, when you look at Alabama and this year, I would say their defense is outstanding, but in the years that they've won their national championships, their defenses have been outstanding. They've been nasty in the trenches. They've had outstanding linebackers and NFL type of DBs and are really tough to score on. And, and then they sprinkle in, you know, some offense. Most of that in the past has always been, it seems like a, a Derek Henry type of back in the backfield or, uh, maybe an outstanding wide receiver now. Now they're chucking it all over the place and scoring points with Bryce Young. But I still think defense is going to win you championships. And so that's the way Rob Mullins went, was with a defensive-minded head coach. Uh, that's not to say that this team is not going to have a wide-open offense with Kenny Dillingham being hired as the offensive coordinator and the quarterback coach. And, and uh, you know, Bo Nix obviously coming in from, from Auburn, who, you know, has had mixed reviews. He was the SEC freshman of the year, his first year, the year they beat the Ducks uh, in the last second, but he's familiar with Kenny Dillingham and vice versa, because that's the guy who recruited him to Auburn. And Dillingham's had pretty good uh, success at Florida State, even though the team from a record standpoint hasn't. And you start sprinkling in people like Junior Adams that has now come down from Washington to be part of the staff and some others. Um, I think the foundation of a tough-minded defense sometimes transfers over to the offense too, where they can be a, a, a very tough minded team. And they play that way in the trenches on both sides of the ball. They play that way with their linebackers on the defensive side. Uh, they may be bloody a little bit from the standpoint of being able to run the ball and then boop right up over the top to the Troy Frank, Franklin's and the Dante Thornton's. And so I like it, whether it's in reaction to the coaches that are being hired in the league, tough to tell. That was the first thing I heard popped out. So, you know, what you say might be true, but I still think at the end of the day, defenses win you championships. And uh, Dan Lanning's name was sprinkled out there all over the place. We were talking to the Oklahoma people when we were in San Antonio. And they said, yeah, he was one of the three people that were on our list, which I didn't know. So, you know, he was highly thought of by a lot of people throughout the country. And I think Oregon's pretty fortunate to get him. And I think he's coming into a situation at Oregon, as we were talking about, off of a disappointing, quote unquote, 10 win season. And it does feel that way, leaving a little bit of a sour taste in the mouths of Duck fans. But the foundation for Oregon to continue to win at a high level, I think, is still really there. And one of the things I've been most pleased and really shockingly impressed with with regards to this new staff as they transition in and Dan Lanning isn't even the full-time head coach yet, but they have gotten players to stay, to stick yes. around. They've gotten a couple of notable high school recruits, notably Jaleel Tucker to stay committed to Oregon. His teammate Jaleel Florence is still considering the ducks. Those are a couple of highly rated guys. DB is coming out of California. The, the offensive line is sticking around skill position guy. Seven McGee was in the portal. And then a couple right. hours later, after talking to Dan Lanning was staying at the university of Oregon. I mean, it literally unfolded over the course of, I think just two or three hours that he announced it on Twitter. And then he came back and said, I'm going to stay. I've been very encouraged by what I've seen so far with regards to coach Lanning and the new staff and what they have to build on at Oregon. Where do you think the ceiling is for the ducks come 2022? 
Well, you know, one thing that comes with Oregon football sometimes is pretty high expectations. You know, 10 and 2 is disappointing <laughs> in a way, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. even though in, in a lot of years, depending on how you get there and how you finish the season, it would seem like a great season if you went on a six-game win streak and win the Pac-12 championship game. Two years ago when Oregon beat Utah in the Pac-12 championship game and won the Rose Bowl, but that was a two-loss team, you know? So it's all how you finish type of situation oftentimes. But um, yeah, I just, I, I think what they are building towards, there's going to be high expectations and Dan Lanning knows that because um, he knows the expectations he deals with at, at, at Georgia and some of the schools that they have in the SEC. Uh, maybe Oregon is not that deep of a blue blood by any means as the Alabamas and the people like that, but the expectations nonetheless are really, really high. And so he's going to be held to that expectation level. He's brought a, a tremendous staff on in so far, uh, a, a bunch of great coaches that are tremendous recruiters. And I think that is the mix that he has put together that hopefully is the formula that keeps them at the top of the North that keeps them in the championship game for the Pac-12 Pac-12 conference and, and hopefully winning it and, and getting yourself into the playoff or at least into a New Year's Six type of bowl. So it, it looks like to me the staff he's put together, the way they've been able to retain some of these players, it did feel like Seven McGee was a recruiting victory. Um, I look at Brandon Doros. I look at Popo Amavai. You know, some of those guys that have decided to come back. It looks like they've grabbed just today a potential high – Big time transfer guy out of Washington, defensive lineman, that anchor you need in the middle to be able to make everybody else that much better. So good things are happening. And I know the minute that that championship game is over on Monday night, he's here on Tuesday to go to work and to continue that recruiting process to get the very best in here to maintain that high level of performance and uh, and try to meet those expectations. But uh, I, I like the expectations, frankly, and I'm, I'm glad people are disappointed with 10, 10 and 2. Uh, just based on the fact that continue to have that high expectation for this program, because I think uh, a majority of the years are going to meet those expectations and, and exceed them, but uh, they got to work hard to do it. And it's a lot of hard work ahead. Yeah. Sam Taimani, the defensive tackle coming from Washington is the guy that you alluded to earlier, and he will be a subject of Monday's pod. So make sure you like, and subscribe if you have not already, but Jorge, you touched on the, the ability of Oregon to compete in the PAC 12 and uh, I was listening to George Klyovkov the other day on uh, the bald face truth with John Canzano. And, you know, it was, it's no secret that the PAC 12 football is down right now in, in a pretty big way, looking ahead from a conference perspective, where do you see Oregon fitting into the hierarchy of teams? Is it, you know, Oregon, USC, Utah, and then everybody else? Or do you see other teams that are going to be able to contend with those three, which I think going into 2022 are probably the clear favorites in the Pac-12? Yeah, uh, that's where I would point to. That would be the three teams I would point towards, uh, you know, maybe based on the fact that uh, Arizona State gets their quarterback back, that they might be a dark horse in there somewhere if they are able to put it all together uh, with Jane Daniels being able to come back. But I still think the three teams that you mentioned right there, I think USC is going to be better because they have a better coach. Uh, that's one thing. We'll see how high Lincoln Riley can take that team with uh, uh, the talent that they have, because they will always have talent. It's just a matter of whether that, that talent can be coached up. Um, and yeah, then I, I think it's, it's Oregon and Utah. I think uh, coach Whittingham is going to have an outstanding group coming back next year, led by a quarterback, some great tight ends, pretty deep 
backfield of, of guys because they played so many guys uh, along the defense. They're going to be tough again on defense. And it looks like even though they've lost two great inside linebackers, they've already gotten the transfer from Florida. There's one of the best linebackers on that team. So, you know, it is those three teams. It really is. And uh, I think Oregon's got an opportunity in the North to uh, do some really good things. And then it's what they do against the teams from the South. And again, that's not to say, don't pay attention to Washington. Don't pay attention to the Beavers. I think Johnson Smith's doing a great job in Corvallis, getting that team building up. And Washington State was kind of a surprise this year. And we'll see what Dickert does with that team. I think it was a disappointing bull loss that they've had. But no doubt about it, those are the three teams, but this league has got to come together and show up when it comes to having somebody in the top four or threatening to be there all season long, like Oregon was, winning bowl games. It's now two years since they've won a bowl game. And that doesn't look good. When you have five power five conferences right now, Oregon or Oregon, the Pac-12 is looked at as the fifth. And you've got to do some things to get yourself out of that position. And uh, it probably starts with those three teams right now because USC is the main name always uh, from this league. But Oregon has been the best over the past decade to 15 years. And Utah has always kind of been there. And I think Utah has now made the move once they've made it to the Rose Bowl. I love what happened, by the way. I don't know about you with Utah. I just oh, love yeah. what they, I love what oh, they did, how they got there, the blue-collar stuff, how hard they worked, the tragedy that happened, the way that they play together as a team. I just – it was the coolest thing. They deserved it. Yeah. No, Jorge, I've said this before on the pod. I was at the Pac-12 championship game just there as a fan. And, it, you know, you were there. It was 85% Utah fans probably yeah. inside Allegiant Stadium. The fans were awesome. But, you know, I was surrounded by, you know, quote unquote, the enemy, so to speak. But I didn't feel that way. You know, I mean, were they rooting for their team? Yes. But were they mean? No. Were they rude? No, they were having fun. We were having jokes because the game got out of hand. And, like, I, I have so much respect for Utah and everything that that program ha- has been through. And, like, I, I think they are 100% a class act. You know, some schools you lose to and it stings a little. But Oregon lost twice to Utah this year. And all I could feel as a fan was tip my cap. Like, yep. they're, they're the better team on that day. And they are – a really solid football program that's going to be there year in and year out. Yep. I agree. Yep. Yeah. Last thing with Jorgie of the Oregon sports network, his name is Mike Jorgensen, but many of you probably don't know him as, as Mike Jorgensen. Right. Do a lot of people even call you Mike? How often no, do you go by? No. Mike? And when I get called Mike, I never turn around. That's the funny <laughs> thing about it. Yeah. That's uh, fantastic. I think you and I are in agreement that the Oregon offense is set up for success in 2022 the running backs, whether Die and Verdell come back, I think are tremendously deep. The wide receivers showed a lot of promise in the Alamo Bowl. I think the tight ends are really good, and they're both young. Ferguson and Montevau, both freshmen. I like them both. The offensive line is bringing back four or five guys, but you know they played six or seven regularly throughout the season, so I'm not worried about that at all. Mario Cristobal definitely left that unit intact for 2022, and maybe even a year or two after, but the one question that we all have is the most important position, Georgie, and it's the quarterback spot. It looks like it's going to be Bo Nix. What do you make of that Oregon quarterback room and what we might see at that position? I think it's going to be a great competition and I'm really happy to see the competition. Um, 
you know, I think a lot of people, I've had a lot of people say to me, just walking down the street is, you know, why are they bringing in Bo Nix? Well, why are they even doing that? I mean, all they're going to do is create a transfer type of situation. You got a five-star guy already. And it's like, wait, wait, wait a second. They're not handing the keys to Bo Nix, but they're not handing the keys to Ty Thompson. They want to see these two guys, you know, at least those two guys anyway. I mean, there's more quarterbacks in the room than just those two, but those are the two names that are going to be mentioned. And so it's competition time. And uh, I like that. And I like the fact that Ty Thompson, who is a talented young man, he's got all the tools. He's got all the moxie. He's got the brain that goes with it. He's an athletic young man. He can throw some beautiful balls and every ball that you can think of, other than the fact that he just doesn't have game reps and game time type of experience. And so if he ends up earning a position, you know, your first game right out the bat, right off, right off Georgia, <laughs> right? You know, Bo Nix has played against Georgia before, yeah. but right out the shoot, if you're Ty Thompson, that's what it's going to be. And yet sometimes that's what it takes to get your feet wet, get a taste for real football right off the bat. And so, and yet Bo Nix, you know, is a proven talent. I mean, he's a big guy. He's athletic. Um, he'll maybe have an advantage if you want to call it that, because the offense is Kenny Dillingham's. And if he's taken what he did at Auburn to Florida state, and now he's bringing it to Oregon. Well, Bo Nix had it at Auburn and is going to know it a little bit, but uh, I tell you what, I, th I think some people are, are looking maybe at Bo Nix as uh, the guy that's going to get the job. Uh, I don't jump there. Just be real careful jumping there because I think Ty Thompson is going to show some people some things this spring. Um, and I love the position or the the attitude that he has taken to it and that is 10 toes you know what he's saying in his tweet 10 toes in or 10, 10 toes, toes down. down yeah i mean he is gonna dig in and it's time to get after it and uh you know what if he's a five-star guy and i've seen all the traits of a five-star guy and he is that guy then go earn it my gosh go earn it and same with bo nix if you want the job go earn it competition's gonna be great with these guys yeah, I think it's going to be perhaps the most anticipated Oregon spring football game since people were, you know, hearing rumors about some guy named Marcus Mariota and is, you know, who, who is he and how did he get the starting job from Darren Thomas? And I want to see what, what we've got there. I mean, I can't remember the last time I've been this excited for the spring game. So it, it should, it should be a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. And I think again, just, both great young men, and uh, you know, I think it's just going to be a great opportunity for these guys to show what they really are. Well, Jorge, I was looking forward to this for quite some time. I appreciate you taking the time. Again, just su such an honor and my privilege to have you on the show, and appreciate you taking the time to talk to Duck fans. Hey, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on. It really was a pleasure. Thanks. Yeah, really great to have had Jorge on the pod today. Appreciate him taking the time. I appreciate all of you for listening. I'll be back in your feeds next week. As always, have a wonderful rest of your day, and go Ducks!